One of the problems facing us in this 20th century is philosophical. We've heard of all the problems of ecology, of uh, political unrest, of the economy, of all kinds of different uh, um, economical and political isms. But the philosophy of man is really the basis for everything else that he does. I don't mean whether he follows Hegel or Kant or Schopenhauer or things like that, but I mean his basic expectations of life, his basic uh, belief in what he can attain. In that field, our philosophy has led us into a very arid desert indeed in this century because based on some people's interpretations of the findings of science, many voices in this century have declared that life is meaningless, that there is no purpose to it, that there is no reason for anything in the universe, that evolution is an accident, human life is an accident, and anything that you and I can do, therefore, has really basically no point, no meaning. So today I'd like to talk about um, finding deeper meaning in life. And of course, to start that, we'd even have to say finding meaning in life. When we think philosophy, we think vague abstractions. When we think of such things as meaning, we think again of vague abstractions. And that's why I think people are able to box themselves into a philosophy that leads them into such a sense of hopelessness, despair, pointlessness in their lives. I'll go so far as to say that I think that probably one major reason for all, this, all the suicides in, uh, among teenagers, believe it or not, it's a very major problem. I think that it has nothing to do with all the things people talk about, or something to do maybe, but I think that the basis of it is this, that we've given them a universe in which there's nothing to believe. We've given them an explanation of things that leaves them cynical at the age of 15. And they think, well, what's the use of working, struggling, fighting to achieve nothing? It's our fault in a way because we haven't gone into it deeply enough. And so when I talk about finding deeper meaning in life, first of all, I'm talking about something very, very fundamental, important. At the same time, I want to start with basics Fundamental, not in the sense of, of so deep that you can't find its roots, but basic in the sense that right here, right now, we can find meaning. We can find meaning by learning to look at life more deeply. Learning to look at life more realistically, more, well, let's say, to learn to live more consciously. That's asking a lot, and yet it's asking everything that nature itself demands of us, that we become more and more conscious of what we're doing, that we understand more and more deeply. I'd like to read a passage from the same book that I read from earlier by my spiritual teacher, Paramahansa Yogananda. He said in a chapter in this book, The Essence of Self-Realization, the chapter is called The Law of Life. And the fifth saying is, uh, the law of life is designed to teach us how to live in harmony with objective nature and with our true inner nature. If you touch your fingers to a hot stove, they will be burned. The pain you feel will be a warning put there by nature to protect you from injuring your body. 
and if you treat others unkindly, you will receive unkindness in return, both from others and from life. Your own heart, moreover, will grow shriveled and dry. Thus does nature warn people that by unkindness they do injury to their inner self. When we know what the law is and conduct ourselves accordingly, we live in lasting happiness, good health, and perfect harmony with ourselves and with all life. I think one of the problems that people face in this century is this strange delusion that man is somehow separate from nature. That when we consider the laws of nature, we can be as scientific as we like. When we talk about man and human nature, we're talking about something vague that doesn't really uh, allow us to pin anything down. You can believe anything you like to, and your belief will, at least if it's sincere, will be the right thing for you. Well, this isn't really true. If you believe that eating badly is the right thing for you, and a lot of people this day and age do, they eat junk foods, don't they? And so believing in junk foods being a good thing, does that make it good for them? No. You believe that smoking is fine, but in fact you find out that it wasn't a good idea in the first place. You believe that it's good to drink because you enjoy it, and then later on, many years down the road, you find out that it was a terrible thing to do. And so you can see that there are laws that tie us to nature, both in our bodies to objective nature and in our consciousness, because our consciousness too is a part of that great nature. We are a part of everything there is. And if we try to live consciously, then when I, what I mean by that expression is that we need to look and see what the results of things that we do are. Don't think that you can live just the way you want to. And uh, um, if then you suffer stomachache for having eaten badly or headaches for having drunk too much or depression for having lived wrongly, that there's no cause and effect, it's all just, uh, it just happened. Most people go through life completely blindly. Therefore, they see no meaning in life because they don't look for meaning. But if you look for meaning, you can begin to find it very soon. I don't mean that kind of meaning that you can write on a blackboard, the meaning of life is, etc., etc., etc. I mean that which makes life meaningful to you. Well, what makes it meaningful to you? Certainly, it's meaningful to you to have a good body, to have health, isn't it? You'd certainly say so if you were ill. We want to be healthy. Another thing that gives meaning to life is to be happy. Well, then the meaning of life is that which can help us to find good health, happiness, peace of mind, and so on. The next rule to understand is that we are a part of a larger reality. On two different levels we can understand, then, the importance of certain psychological rules. And mind you, when we read in the scriptures that we should be, um, that we should follow certain commandments, it isn't that God has created these laws for his own pleasure. It isn't that he's created an obstacle course to make life miserable for us. These are simply rules of life, which if we obey, we put ourselves in harmony with the whole universe. And if we don't obey, we got to get ourselves out of harmony with the universe. We're a part of a great reality. Now then, supposing I 
decide that I can become wealthy most easily by stealing from other people. A lot of people think that way, so this is not an original uh, supposition on my part, nor uh, an outrageously novel uh, question to ask. Supposing I do. Many people think, well, why not? As Jean-Paul Sartre, the French nihilist, said to be conscious of someone else is to be conscious of that which you are not. And the other one was the great poet John Donne, who wrote, Send not to ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. In other words, one person's death is to a certain extent also your death. Or to put it on a more practical level, there we live on two different levels. We live on the human level where our egos are looking for fulfillment for our body. We think I, my, me, mine all the time. That's one level. But there's another level in which we touch the realities of others. Now on one level, if I take from others for myself, we can see it in a purely practical way just on this ego level that if I'm the kind of person who takes from other people, I'm likely to get myself into situations where other people want to take from me. Because the kind of energy we put out is the kind of energy we get back. Or to put it on a more practical level, a more immediate level, immediately understandable level, I should say, this saying of Paramahansa Yogananda's, uh, if you are unkind to other people, that's one of the surest ways of getting them to be unkind to you. And if you are kind to other people, then automatically they're going to be more likely to be kind to you, even if their normal tendency is to be a little grumpy toward other people. And so it is, you can even practice this. Walk down a city street, crowded street, where you see a lot of strangers all around you, and just think of these people as your brothers and sisters. And look at them with kindness. If you want to, if you see somebody looking sad, you might even give an encouraging smile, whatever it might be, at least have that consciousness. Because sometimes when you smile at a stranger, your motives can be misunderstood. But if you have that consciousness even, notice whether some people don't begin to look at you a little bit more appreciatively, a little bit more kindly, if they don't smile at you, if you aren't the one that they go and ask, could you help me? It happens on an on a, on a level which we can all understand and appreciate that the kind of energy you put out, whether it's kindness or bitterness, whether it's understanding or misunderstanding, whether it's peace or, or uh, anger, and so on, across the board, that kind of energy is the kind of energy you're likely to elicit from other people. But there's another level to this thing, too. And that is, as Jesus said, and... Uh, in fact, in the original Greek, the saying is more clear. The, uh, the, uh, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the Greek makes it clearer. Love your neighbor, he is like you. You could put it even more deeply. Love your neighbor, he's a part of you. He is you on a deeper level. Let's look at it this way. You have an ocean with many islands. Each island seems separate. In that same sermon of John Donne's, he said, no man is an island. And yet visually, we all seem to be islands, don't we? Each one seems separate. The clothes I own go into my closet, they don't go into somebody else's. The money I earn goes into my bank account, not into yours. The 
the problem I have with plumbing is my worry, not my neighbor's, unless it becomes too extreme and creates a local flood or something. So we see that on one level, we're all islands. We're all separate from one another visually, as all islands in the sea are visually separate from one another. But the other side of it is that no island is an island. Every island is only a projection of the same earth of which we are all expressions. And that island goes down under the ocean, that land goes down under the ocean and protrudes itself nearby as another island, as all other islands, as the continents. And so, if we understand it in that way, we are a part of a greater reality, even if we don't see that reality. Now, in a practical way, if you hurt other people, you're really hurting yourself. To murder another person in these metaphysical terms is to commit, a, on a certain level, suicide. Murder is suicide. You're killing not only somebody else, you're killing something in yourself. You're killing your attunement with that greater self of which you were a part. Now, mind you, here's a good example. You were listening to this harp just now as we were, as I sang for you. Now, if those harp strings were strung just between two posts, they wouldn't have any beauty to them. They, you'd hardly hear them. But because they're attuned to the sounding board, their, uh, their tones become rich and beautiful. Now, each one of us, if we live only thinly in the ego, each one of us finds himself also thin and separate. But if we realize that there's a sounding board beneath us, then we find that we have power in our lives to accomplish a great deal more than we even believed possible. That there is a, there is a level within us where we can find inspiration, where we can find joy, where we can find uh, the power to accomplish whatever it is that we need to accomplish. All of these things are a part of us, but the more so, the more we recognize that we are a part of this greater reality. And we do injury to our attunement with that reality when we hurt another being, when we flout the law of psychological well-being. Because the law of right living means always to expand our reality, to include others in that reality, to find happiness not only for ourselves, but also by enjoying things through other people, by sharing with them your happiness. To find meaning in life is not to find a definition, but to find those states of mind and those uh, conditions of existence that make life most deeply worth living. Are you somebody who gets up in the morning and greets it with joy and thinks all the wonderful things you've got to do and regrets that the day is so short because you can't do them all? Are you somebody who really feels a song in your heart? Or do you sort of drag yourself grumbling out of bed in the morning and collapse onto your bed in exhaustion in the evening, and meanwhile sort of growl at everybody. Your life will have meaning if you do that, but it won't be a very nice meaning. The kind of meaning you want is that meaning which expands your consciousness. Every time I've seen people suffer, 
I mean people who are unhappy, not, oh, I broke my toe, it hurts, that kind of thing, but people who are unhappy, because you can have all kinds of things go wrong and still be happy. But this I have seen, that people who are unhappy are invariably selfish. And we can put it around the other way. People who are selfish are invariably unhappy. Now I know, whenever anybody makes a statement like that, you immediately look around for all the exceptions you can possibly think of. So let me explain to you, let me give you my own exceptions. Sometimes it happens that we're selfish in this department of our lives and not selfish in another. Even gangsters have been known to be nice to children. So let me say that in this complex nature of ours, which we all have, those departments of your life in which you're selfish, those are the departments in which you will be unhappy. And those departments of your life in which you are generous, sharing, are the departments in which you will also find fulfillment. And I say this categorically, I challenge you to, 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 to contradict me, to disprove me, because I know it's true. Selfishness, cynicism, thinking only of number one, these are the philosophies of our century. And the, have they given us happiness? Following all these books that tell you all the ways to fulfill yourself, thinking only of me? Some people say, well, how can I think of anybody else? I've got to get my act together. One of the best ways of getting your act together is stop thinking you've got an act to get together. Just live in joy. Live in sharing with people. The more you live generously, the more you live expansively, anything that contracts your sense of self-identity will cause you unhappiness. Anything that expands it will cause you happiness. To find deeper meaning in life, then, all you have to do is live in such a way that you attune yourself harmoniously to nature as a whole and to your own higher nature. Remember, you are not just a body, an ego, a personality. You are a child of the infinite. And your heredity is the treasures of that infinite storehouse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and all these things shall be added unto you.